What the footy? What the footy? What the footy? What the footy? Hi there, it's Paul, and you're listening to What the Footy, the podcast that takes football fans behind the scenes. Here is what I have lined up for you today. Certainly, Emil and Bakayo were, were two of those that. You know, we had to sit down and I had to make sure I had good relationships with their families and parents and that we did the right thing and, and could making sure we convinced them that this was the best place for them to continue their development. This week, I'm speaking with Steve Morrow. Steve spent 20 years at Arsenal as a player and a scout. He was once described by Tony Adams as one of the best scouts in the world. Guys, in this episode, we speak about a plethora of issues from Serge Gnabry leaving Arsenal. Is scouting an art or a science? The bursting onto the scene of Bukayo Saka and Emil Smith-Rowe. Guys, I hope you love this episode. Not like it, I hope you love it. So you know what to do. Download, subscribe, rate and review and tell a friend to tell a friend. Let's go! Knew some other guys liked me, but I didn't know it was to that extent. Imagine being a kid in primary school, now supporting us. Awesome. Powerful people, and I think they need to recognise that, but then also they need to be represented the right way. Sport in general is nothing without fans. Uh, based on you know, one single source of revenue alone, that being the TV. Let's just win this to appease the fan. How's things with you uh, sort of getting back into the game or...? or... I see you've been linked to Spurs. Yeah. Hi there. It's Paul. Yeah, it's, and you're uh, listening it's, it's, to What's the Footy, time. the podcast oh, yeah. to um, football fans. Yeah, when I, when I left Arsenal, I wanted to take a break Here from the game for a while. You know, just to lined up really restock and make today. sure whatever I did next it was the right thing. And I hadn't had a break from football really for um, since I was about 16 years old oh, wow. when I started at Arsenal, really. And also it's been continuous since then. So, yeah, I wanted to take a little bit of time out and recharge and then of course we went into a lockdown situation so I've now had a longer rest than I wanted to have <laughs> yeah <laughs> but yeah there, there's been a few opportunities and um, one or two exciting ones that then got put on hold because of COVID yeah. and then haven't come back on the table yet um, and, and just one or two that, that didn't work out or weren't for me really um, but yeah it's been it's been reasonably quiet uh, but yeah, I'm just trying to use the time and chill and, you know, because when you get back into it again, yeah. the next thing comes along, it's, it's full on, yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. But we'd like to start the podcast off with this question, which is, what is football to you, a business or a sport and why? Out of those two choices, I would say it's definitely a sport. Yeah. Um, I, I've, I've never seen it, um, even even though it's been my job since since I was 15 or 16 years old. Um, so from that point of view, yeah, that is the business end of things. Um, but for me, it's always been a love. It's always been a passion. Um, I've always seen it as a sport and I've always seen myself being really lucky and really fortunate to, you know, be in this profession since I was, you know, 15 or 16 years old on a full-time basis, really. So, you know, that that's been... Uh, I guess almost 35 years of, of doing something that, that you love doing. Um, so, yeah, I, I see it as a sport and I'm lucky enough to, to have earned a good living out of it. So, um, yeah, even though it's it's got its ups and downs, yeah. and, you know, people would probably see it as, well, you know, professional footballers are, are lucky and they're privileged. Um, yes, yes, they are for sure. Um, but obviously it has its ups and downs like any career. 
Yeah, no, definitely. And even just in terms of yourself, like when you look back and reflect on your on your sort of playing career, what are your sort of fond memories? Obviously, you've got the cup final goal playing against Palmer in the last sort of European trophy yeah. that Arsenal won. What's your sort of fond memories? Yeah, I, I think, you know, you probably touched on a few of the highlights there. Yeah. And obviously, um, my, my time at Arsenal, you know, I was there for, for almost 10 years as a player, um, you know, from signing at 15 years old. Um, so probably a bit longer than that, actually. Um, yeah, I, I was, you know, fortunate to be in a, you know, a, a really good team in those kind of early years in the 90s. Um, and yeah, probably a team that became known for being a really successful cup team, actually. Um, yeah, so the, I guess some of the highlights would be yeah, the winning the League Cup in '93 and you know scoring a winning goal at Wembley, which is yeah. you know obviously a fantastic experience and you know one I'll always cherish. And but I think the the Cup Winners' Cup in '94 against Parma and Copenhagen was probably a more satisfying and enjoyable game for me, you know, because of the the role that I played in the team and the opposition mm. that we were up against. You know, Parma were one of the top teams at the time with a lot of quality players. Um, so, yeah, the, the, that, that was a, a really great highlight in a game I, I took a lot of satisfaction from. And I guess, you know, away from Arsenal, the other experiences that I had at, at QPR and, and also going over to FC Dallas in the MLS were different cultural experiences, but really great experience as well. Uh, I, I loved the, the two years that I had playing in, in, in MLS in America and just enjoying a different style of football and really loved that, you know, towards the end of my career and, you know, being probably in a more of a leadership role than I'd ever been in my career, you know, going into MLS, which was a growing league and mm. someone of my experience in, in England, uh, um, that was kind of the transition into the afterlife of football. Um, so, yeah, those things and, and also away from the club side, just representing my country as well. And I played 40 times for, for Northern Ireland and um, captained my country on three occasions, which was mm. you know a tremendous honour and a tremendous highlight for me as well. Yeah, just sort of mention on there when, when you went over to the MLS and you were playing and managing uh, FC Dallas over there. What's What's been your sort of... Um, thoughts on the evolution of, of the MLS like we're, we're almost starting to see more um, sort of players who've played over there coming over to European football whether that's Pulisic, Weston McKennie at Juventus, Stefan who's now yeah. Man City. How's that evolution been because you were there right from the early days? Yeah I was yeah I was there uh, in Dallas for six years from 2002 onwards mm. and yeah like I talked about earlier a, a great experience as a player and a different style of football to, to the Premier League and the English game, you know, probably a, in, in those days a, a little bit of a slower pace, but yeah. a tremendously athletic league and the technical side of the game was growing and growing. So you, you had a real mixture of, of cultures, uh, not just cultures, but also young American players. And as everyone knows, really uh, a lot of experienced players, bigger name players coming into that league towards the end of their career, really. Um, you know, which, which, which I think they've they've changed to a degree, um, and you know, for for the league to continue to evolve, they they need to attract um, as big names as possible, yeah. um, without them being you know just coming towards the end of their career. And if they can get to the point where, you know, players are saying going to MLS as a 
um, a stepping stone in their career rather than something they do at the end. And I think the league is is really starting to grow. Um, but what was really interesting for me was seeing the growth of um, young American players. Uh, it was just when I left around 2008-9 that the academies were starting to, to grow and uh, the young American players were emerging because it really struck me how much talent there was over there yeah. and the depth of talent and the size of the country is, is quite incredible really. And I think if they can um, get that piece right where they're able to have good development programs for young kids and good academies then it will certainly be one of the, the major leagues in the world and the major markets for young emerging talent and we're starting to see that happen yeah. um, you know you talked about players like Pulisic who ironically I brought over to Arsenal when he was 14 years oh, old oh did she and, yeah oh, wow, I did yeah. I did yeah yeah he came came and trained at, at Colney and uh, he was he was so small then. Um, I I I guess I could see the longer term potential, um, yeah. but he struggled a little bit physically, you know, with with our players and similar age group. Um, so uh, even though I was keen to take it further, he um, he ended up in Germany, uh, which was um, unfortunate. But he was one that I I really liked from a younger age, and I think if you look at the quality and the American youth teams and and how that's developed over the last you know four five six years um they're producing some good players yeah even one of my contacts over in the states he's predicting that uh, come the world cup in 2026 which is obviously being hosted over there he, he believes that they can really yeah. contend to even win that what's, what's your thoughts on that obviously it's a bit yeah. of a wild statement but the, the talent is there for yeah sure. yeah look I, I think from their point of view that they would be disappointed if they didn't see themselves in that sort of position yeah. come you know 2026 you know because there's a real strong group of, of players emerging there and they've got another you know um, yeah. four or five years to you know continue to develop those players and there's exciting talent coming out so I, I think they would fully expect to to be in a stronger position by then and you know competing with the, the top teams in the world so um, I, I don't think it's unrealistic at all. Yeah, no, for sure. And, and just going a, a little bit back as well, obviously you played under two of the most successful managers in, in Arsenal's history. How would you sort of compare yeah. and contrast uh, George Graham and, uh, and Arsene Wenger? Yeah. yeah, yeah, very interesting. And, you know, the, I think the the person that I am today and, you know, how I um, act and behave as, you know, um, a coach or, or manager or um, wherever the next path path takes me. I think the skill set that I've developed today and the person that I am is is through those influences that, that you just mentioned and, and obviously some others as well. Um, but, you know, George was was my first coach, really, when I got into the first team at Arsenal. And um, and then, yeah, I did play with under Arsenal for one, one, almost one season before I moved on. Um, but obviously... Um, you know, got to know him very well when I went back there and was a staff member and, you know, was worked very closely with him. Um, so, yeah, you're right. Contrasting styles between those, those two co as coaches. Um, George was someone who was certainly very, very well organised, you know, had a great tactical brain. Um, you know, I think he was was adept at finding a way to win um, with, with the players that we had, um, but also 
uh, probably a fortune at the time where we had a, a tremendous group of players, young players developing yeah. at, at Arsenal. And I was fortunate to come into that group of, you know, Tony Adams and David Rocastle and Paul Merson and Kevin Campbell. And, yeah. You know, the list goes on and on. Um, that, that was a special group of players. And, um, you know, George really focused on getting the team organised and, and disciplined and played very much to our strengths and, you know, built, I, I think, built the team from from the back, really. I, I made sure we were difficult to beat, um, but probably didn't get enough credit, I, I reckon, for the, the attacking side of the game. Um, I think there were one or two seasons where we were the highest scoring team in the league yeah. and that was never really recognised and I would say he was more recognised as a defensive. a defensive coach really and being well organised but um, had, had quality attacking players I even spoke with Dave Bassett and I think he mentioned a similar thing like that where people like himself George Graham they're almost pigeonholed as being certain types of managers when really and truly they they, they could attack they could score yeah. goals and, and yeah for sure, um, you know when when you look at the players that, that that George had in his team around that time, you know the likes of of, of Paul Merson and, and Alan Smith and Kevin Campbell and Paul Davis in midfield, and um, I think he brought in Anders Limpar and players mm. like that. He loved creative players as well, um, but um, he also liked players who understood both sides of the game and you know were were willing to work hard off the ball as well. So he probably, like you say, doesn't get enough credit for. Um, you know the the attacking and the side of the game and the flair players that that he had as well. Um, whereas Arson definitely did, yeah. <laughs> um, but was very much known for you know having really strong, gifted, technical players in the team that that could be very comfortable in possession and um, you know that that was you know his philosophy from the start and um, you know I, I think you know he introduced a style of play to. Arsenal that is it became known really around the world mm. um, for for the style of play that we had, but also probably changed the the direction of of the, the style of English football in a way and the style of the Premier League and having more of a passing game, which which maybe um, opened up the the doors for other coaches and other clubs to to play in a similar fashion. So you know certainly. Credit to, to him for you know sticking to his beliefs and his, his way of playing. Yeah, for sure. And when did when did the uh, Cheese Days Club end? Then. <laughs> yeah, look, uh, a lot of is is made of that. Yeah. Um, um, I guess what I would say about it was that, um, that that was a very strong knit group of players. You know, a, a great bond between all all of those guys, and um, you know, it, in those days. You know, going out for a beer or two after training had finished when you had a day off the next day wasn't an uncommon thing. Mm. Um, obviously, that's not, not as common now and there's much more awareness around you know how you treat your body and your nutrition you take and the fluids that you take. Um, and Arson very quickly changed a lot of that to have you know better habits in place. But, um, you know, I, I look back at it and I would say that it had its advantages because it, you know, it bonded the players together a lot, and they were a strong group of players who um, fought for each other on the pitch because of how close they were off the pitch as well. Mm. Um, yeah, I certainly experienced one or two of those days myself as a young player, which was yeah. which was fascinating. <laughs> no, and then and then when did the move back to Arsenal um, sort of happen? I, I think I read that um, 
Ivan Gazidis. You sort of met him out when you were out in the States, is that correct? Or Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I quickly kind of moved into, when I finished playing in Dallas um, in, in 2004, I think that was, um, yeah, I moved into an assistant coach's role and then was an assistant coach for two seasons and then uh, the opportunity came for I go for the head coach's job in, in Dallas and I interviewed for that and got the job and that was a a really kind of fast um, track for me at the time you know I was the youngest coach ever in MLS and, uh, at that time you know so that was a really steep learning curve for me um, but one I, I really enjoyed I enjoyed the coaching side of the game and it felt like a natural transition for me you know to go from playing straight into the coaching and then managing um, so yeah, I re really enjoyed that, but also saw the other side of the game where, you know, how, how abruptly it can come to an end on, on the coaching side. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I, I was into my second season there and, um, you know, had a, a really successful first season and got the team to the playoffs and the, the cup final for the first time in a long time in Dallas. And we were actually the un only unbeaten team still left in the league in my second wow. season. And um, it was after David, David Beckham had just come into MLS and, the LA Galaxy come in to play in Dallas and we had a full um, crowd on the day and uh, a lot of potential sponsors there and everything and um, that result didn't go too well. We lost 5-1 and it was our first defeat of the season. And, yeah. Um, yeah, and again a learning experience because I had a, a disagreement with the, the club president the day after that and um, yeah, went on gardening leave for a while and then yeah, like you say, we, we, I'd, I'd met Ivan Gazidis. Uh, he was the deputy commissioner of MLS in those days and um, you know, we immediately struck up a good relationship and a couple of days after um, leaving my post in Dallas, um, uh, I got a call from not just Ivan, but um, fortunately, Mr. Dean as well. David oh, well, Dean yeah. called me very, very quickly and, um, you know, opened the door for me to, to come back to Arsenal and talk to, about a potential position there. And um, it all happened very quickly. And yeah, um, yeah, I was very fortunate really to have something right away to, to come back to and just around that time it was always my intention to try to come back to England anyway at some point um, um you know we had a young family and wanted to settle back in England so yeah uh, like I said it all happened very quickly and I, I spoke to David and spoke to Ken Fryer and came over and met Arson and, and Steve Rowley the chief scout and um yeah uh, it all happened very quickly yeah and then I believe you'll you sort of work on the international partnership sides and so when you sort of look into it, it's sort of what the modern day sort of city football group or the sort of Red Bull model is kind of yeah. like. Would you kind of yeah. say that, like, how, how did that sort of work out for you then? Did you say that you guys were sort of the pioneers of that and how was it all sort, sort of operating? Because as we can see now, it's quite successful for, yeah. for quite a few teams. Yeah, I, I mean, this this was back in yeah two, 2009, 10 when... Yeah, part of my role, like you say, when I first came into the club was um, looking after some of the international partnerships. And, you know, that kind of ranged from having quite a few player development projects in, in different parts of the world that were using um, Arsenal's name and Arsene Wenger's name, um, you know, to start player development projects. And um, that was linked in with um, the JMG Academy, Jean-Marc Guillaume. And a lot of players developed out of that, that academy program in different parts of the world. You know, the likes of the Toure brothers and Manuel Bue, who eventually came to Arsenal, they all came from the JMG academies. Um, so we had uh, many links with, with them. And 
yeah and, and also you know links links with different clubs as well and that was something i was i was looking to grow and like you say that's been replicated and done extremely well actually by city football group where they now own um or have shares in eight or nine clubs across the world and you know ironically back in 2011-12 that was a a proposal i'd, I'd put to the club you know of, of expanding our partnerships and yeah. around that time i was really transitioning into a different role within the club you're really taking over the whole recruitment side of things a little bit more um within the club so kind of moved away from the international partnerships and um yeah who, who knows how that would have developed if yeah. you know if i hadn't moved away from that area but i, I definitely moved into more of a, a recruitment role and uh, working um, in the early days with the first team with Steve Rowley and with Arson on the first team recruitment um, and then really took over uh, as head of youth recruitment and being responsible for an area really within Arsenal Football Club that was a very, very important area and always had been of attracting the best young players to the club. And we always saw that really as the most important recruitment area within the club, you know, those 15, 16, 17 year olds who could come in and you know develop into first team players at, at Arsenal? So, yeah, yeah, I was, I was honoured to take on that role really, and um, you know look at restructuring the whole recruitment department within the club from under nine right up to the the first team. And um, yeah, I'm very, very pleased and proud of of uh, what was achieved there and what we created and how I left things. Yeah, and, and just sort of going back to the international partnership side of things, that just completely yeah. just got disbanded and um, and just discontinued after you sort of moved on to... Yeah, it, it did really. And, you know, we, we continued to flirt with it a little bit and, you know, talked about, um, you know, investing in one or two clubs around Europe. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, like I say, I, I didn't move away from it and it would have been interesting if you know, I'd stayed in that area or someone else had taken mm. it over really to see where that would have developed because I think, you know, Man City and City Football Group are the ones who are kind of leading the way now in that area. Um, but um, that was something that was on our radar back in, you know, 2010, 11, 12. And um, yeah, it, w it would have been interesting to see how that would have developed. Yeah, and, and just sort of in terms of, of the scouting side of it, how do you almost see scouting now? Because it almost feels like scouting today is a bit, is it, is it an art, is it a science? It almost feels like people are behind the screen with all these AI tools playing football manager and finding the next gem that we're seeing. Teams like um, that Brentford yeah. using that whole sort of money ball approach. Like to you, is it still an art? I've I've always seen it as a a mixture of both, yeah. um, art art and science really, and um, the eye of the scout, um, supported by um, all of the data and other evidence that we can gather and add it to the profiles of the players. So, uh, I I always saw it as 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 a mixture of both. You know, it could never be just relying on one person's eye. Mm. Um, you know, to to select a player. You know, um. And the the further we've gone on, I think really, you know, from probably 2012 or 13 onwards, um, that area really started to grow within football. And this the, the data that we were able to collect and, and analyze and all of the information that we had available to us for um, virtually every player in every league in the world, you know, we invested in um, StatDNA, an American company, um, and, and bought 
that company at, at Arsenal and and use that, that that company to help us build our data and analytics of players and, and yeah. building more in-depth profiles of players, you know, so that um, even if we had, you know, 20, 20 scouting reports, live scouting reports on a player, we were able to back that up with, with evidence of, um, you know, whether it be any sort of data, really, distance covered, shots on goal, um, and compare it to our own players, but other players in different leagues across the world. So it really meant that, you know, you, you could cover a much wider um, profile of players than, than, than we could previously by having that information. Um, but um, I don't think it's one or the other, and I feel yeah. quite strongly about that. You know, I think some clubs will lean towards the data and analytics side of it and um, maybe not respect the, the eye of the sky enough. You know, there's certainly, a, a, in my experience, there's a lot of deals that I wouldn't have got done if um, you weren't able to go live to a stadium and, and watch the player. And you, you see a lot more than you do on video. Um, yeah. You see how he behaves off the ball when the camera's away from him. Um, you're potentially able to meet his parents. You're able to see how he acts off the pitch. You're able to build a, a profile on the player that you can't do through just video and um, analysis, you know, and that that's such an important, the character and the personality of a player and his family and his background and everything else is is a, a very important part of the player's profile. And that's, you know, equally as important as the talent and ability that he has. And so, um, you know, you, you certainly need to have a, a staff and a team of people who are able to do that as well. And then really back up all of the scouting reports that you have by, you know, making sure that the data that, that you have um, fits in with, with what the scouts are saying. And and just sort of in terms of obviously team structure as well, how, how is it sort of like the, the dynamics between you and like Steve Rowley, uh, Francis, Kagi Gao as well, obviously like top scouts. Yeah. I believe, like I mentioned before, Tony Adams described you and Francis as two of the best scouts uh, in the world. Yeah. Uh, probably your mate, yeah. probably your mate giving you a little, uh, give, give, <laughs> giving you a little hype, but... Um, proofs in the pudding but yeah. like what was the sort of relationship yeah. between you guys yeah look i think that that was part of the success um a big part of the success yeah. that you know we had a great team of people um and you know it's great for someone like tony to say that um when when really he wasn't inside the club or really knew yeah. you know how we operated on a daily basis and like you say the proof is in the pudding and the number of players that were brought into the club and then developed into first team players and you know we're very very proud of that um but you know between myself and, and steve and, and francis we you know we we worked extremely well together we'd known each other for a long time and you know franny and i have known each other since we were youth team players mm. at arsenal um and that that was massively important as well and you know we we had a we had a, we had a great balance and and how we worked and and we, we checked things off against each other and we bounced opinions off each other and all of the the young players that we brought in, you know, we we did a lot of them together. Um, you know, certainly I was more responsible for the younger ones, and and Francis a bit more responsible for the, the senior side. But like I said before, the most vital area for us was the the fifteen, the seventeen, or eighteen year olds, and yeah. you know, those were the areas that we worked very closely together. And you know, we had the benefit of of Steve Rowley's experience and um, the the technology and the the vision and the way the game was changing, you know, Francis and I were able to introduce that into to how we profile and scouted players as well, you know. So, yeah, it was, you know, a great team of people, not just us three, but the, the team of people that we had 
below us as well. You know, we had a great team of scouts, not just in the UK, but across yeah. Europe and across the world as well. And um, you rely heavily on those guys because they're they're the ones on the ground who often flag things up initially or, you know, are the first ones to, to see a player. And in many ways, it's it's easier for the likes of me and Franny to, to go in and make final decisions on players. Yeah. Um, you know, often that's often that's the easier part. You know, um, it carries a lot of responsibility. Yes, but um, it often it's the scouts on the ground who are the first ones to see the players. Yeah, and I think I was speaking with Stuart, obviously Stuart, who you know as well, and sort of mentioned how tough it is from a sort of player recruitment perspective, whether that's at senior or sort of youth level, which you're operating at, Steve. How how sort of tough is it for you to to almost get these 15, 16, 17-year-old boys to come to Arsenal, especially in an age now where more clubs have access to, yeah. to the same sort of data sets, the ability to see this stuff. Yeah. How, how, how sort of tough yeah. is that for you? Yeah, look, it, it was a very, very tough environment. And yeah. I'm talking about um, all of the age groups, really. Even, you know, it's, it's a different type of environment, but even going down to the under nine level, you can imagine the competition around London. Yeah. You know, with, with with all the clubs that we have for the best nine-year-olds, because um, and that sounds crazy, and it's something that um, I guess morally speaking, I steered away from a little bit. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're getting down to a point where you know you're you're fighting over a, a nine-year-old and offering money to the family, that doesn't sit well yeah. with me. Um, so, um, you know, I think we competed on a fair level based on the quality of our program, really, and what we could give to young players and how we. Um, not only develop them as footballers, but develop them as, as young men and, you know, taught them the values off the field as well as on it. And um, when you talk about, um, you know, the difficulty of, of, of attracting a player and then, um, you know, trying to persuade that player that Arsenal was the best club for him, um, it was a very competitive environment, you know, and for, for, for many years while I was in the role, you know, we, we competed very hard and, and very tough and very fair with the likes of, of Chelsea and, and Tottenham in London and also you know clubs up north like Man City and, and Man United and Liverpool and yeah look for the best under 15s or 16s around Europe um, everyone's scouting network was such that you were pretty much competing for the same group of players and so it was our job within the club to you know come up with something that set you apart from your competitors yeah. and yeah and I, and I was very proud of what we had within within Arsenal and you know what, what we built up in not just the scouting department but you have to be strong in every department with it uh, across the football side you know whether that's sports science or um, education um, psychology um, player welfare uh, everything needs to be really strong um, so that when you invite a family or a player or an agent inside your club and inside your training ground, that you can have them meet with everyone and every staff member who's going to be responsible for their development. Yeah. And, you know, you have to realize the responsibility that you take on as a club, you know, by bringing a 16 year old in and taking him away from his family and the responsibility you have to his parents as well. So um, I think we did a really great job of that. And I was proud of the, the staff that we had in every department who could sit down with the players and their families and and talk about the, the the problems that they might encounter and how difficult life can be as a young professional player and the challenges that they were going to face um, uh, throughout their their young career and that was often for me what you know set us apart from 
from other clubs. Um, just by the quality of, quality of the program that, that we could offer, but also the the opportunity to to get to get playing chances in the first team. And you know, our, our record spoke for itself, and we were able to sit down with with players and their families and show them examples of you know from Jack Wilshire to Kieran Gibbs to yeah. Theo Walcott to Aaron Ramsey just all of those young players and, and Cesc Fabregas and just lots of examples the real life examples that we were able to show them that these are players who joined Arsenal at 14, 15, 16, 17 years old and uh, we were able to offer them early opportunities to play games in our first team and we had a manager who was willing to play young players and uh, that was really, really important for us as well. Yeah, no, that's really good. I, I spoke with Neil Bamfield yesterday and he, and he mentioned exactly some of the stuff that, yeah. that you were talking about over there. But is there any sort of... Obviously, we know that... Well, I'm probably going to get on to that in a second. Some of the amazing young players currently in the team right now that you've helped pave the way for. But is there anyone that you sort yeah. of mentioned there, like a Pulisic that, that kind of got away that, that you hoped to have, have brought in? or? Yeah, lots. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You've got, yeah, you've got all day, Steve. Don't worry, you've got all day. Yeah, like you, you can imagine. Um, there, there, there's one or two that, that, that got away. Yeah. And, um, you know, it, it wouldn't be a surprise to, to anyone you mentioned, Pulisic, and, you know, even the likes of, of, of Jane Sancho and um, Ryan Sessegnon and young players like that who, you know, we competed for and we were close to bringing them into to, to our club yeah. but so, some work out and some don't and yeah. some work out because you know we're not the right club for for some people you know um maybe we didn't pay or offer as big a contract as, as someone else might have done maybe we didn't want to pay the agent as much so there are always reasons why yeah. um some things don't work out um, um but there are also one or two that that, that we did sign that I had higher hopes for that didn't work out as well. Mm. You know, the likes of, I can think of um, Daniel Mallon, for example. Yeah. You know, who, who came in and I, he was, you know, at 15, 16, he was one of the best strikers that I had seen um, in Holland. And I had really high hopes for him. Yeah. And yeah, he came in and he, he trained quite a bit with the first team. And, you know, Arsene was massively impressed with him. But for some reason, which, it's difficult to explain it. He just, it just didn't work out. And um, he, he never really settled in London. And um, as you can see now, he's gone back to Holland and he's doing really well. Yeah, and, PSV, um, yeah. a, a, another similar one was Serge, Serge Gnabry. You know, he, we, we brought over as, as a young player and I saw him play in Germany yeah. when he was 15. And again, for some reason, it just never worked for him at Arsenal and he had injuries and maybe always felt like he wanted to get back to Germany and even though that was a really tough one to lose and I, I didn't, still yeah. didn't want to lose him up until the last day. Yeah, you do know, you know it's, sometimes it's, it's just... It's even, it's like even funny with Serge because I actually watched him a bit in his breakout season. I remember he... I think did he score at Swansea away when we had the, had the yellow kit on that day. I remember being at, yeah. at, the, yeah. at the Spurs game when when Fios, when, Fios, when Rosicki yeah. scored had an absolute blinding game that day. I just can't get why why we let him go, but yeah, what a player he was. Yeah, look, and that's that's how things go sometimes. And I think, you know, when the player wants to, you know, get, get back to Germany and be closer to home and he feels like he's more comfortable there, then sometimes as a club, you have to do the right thing by the player. And, yeah. Um, yeah, he, he showed, certainly showed glimpses of what he was capable of and his potential while he was at Arsenal, but 
you know, he even as everyone knows, he went to West Brom and 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 didn't do well there either. Yeah. Um, so uh, we always believed in him as a player, and Arson really rated him highly. Um, but um, yeah, like I say, sometimes you have to concede that that's not the right home for for the player, and um, you you look at him now and think, yeah, why do we why do we let him go? But yeah. that's just how it is sometimes. And, and just sort of in terms of yourself, I know you obviously worked a little bit on the first team scouting as well. How 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 difficult is it between the first team scouting and the youth scouting, and which bit did you enjoy the most? Um, yeah, that, that that's an interesting question because yeah, um, you know, working on the f- the first team side of things is very very different. You know, yeah. um, you know, uh, for, for for quite a period, you know, I went to watch a lot of the first team players that we eventually signed. Uh, you know, even Mikel Arteta, that's yeah. an interest. I went to watch him several times play for Everton and. And Per Murdersacker I watched and Mesut Ozil I watched and uh, Oxlade Chamberlain I watched. You know, I was involved in a lot of those. Um, and it is very, very different. Um, I, I get more satisfaction from the younger players, um, I guess, because the, the deals are different for the, the senior players and dealing with agents is different um, with the senior players. Um, I, get, I, I get more satisfaction bringing in a younger player and watching him develop and watching him be successful mm. and get more satisfaction really from um, seeing something in a young player, you know, even if it was 14 or, or 15 or 16 or even younger, um, you know, seeing something in a player that, that you think, you know, he can go on and, and develop into a first team player. Um, you know, and there's, there's a couple of players in the, on the fringes at the moment of the first team that I hope will continue to develop over the next couple of years and, the likes of uh, Miguel Aziz and Charlie Patino mm. here are starting to come through now. You know, those were players at, at 13 or 14. You know, I brought Charlie from Luton at, at 13 or 14 years old. And um, those are probably more satisfying for me because it's a longer development path, really. Um, when you're looking at a first-team player, you're seeing the finished article. Yeah. And really, you just have to make decisions on how well they're going to fit into the first team. Um, you know, what's their... Their, their best position, how does he compare to the other first team players that we have and what can he bring and how long will he stay and what's going to be his sell on value, etc. Whereas the the younger players you're you're seeing something in them that you hope they'll they'll go on and continue and develop in the first team players and that's often more satisfying. Yeah, and even just out of out of all the, the youngsters now, who who's the one that you're watching out for the most and who do you think has that ceiling to really just, just kick on and uh and be that next success Fabregas yeah. for us or, or something like that. Yeah, look, look, I guess since I left the club, one of the most kind of satisfying things for me, having moved on now and, and watching from afar, is just that group of players that are they're developing now. Um, the, the summer before I left, you know, we had a we always have a almost like a graduation ceremony when at the start of the season during pre-season when academy players graduate into the first team we often have a, a little bit of a ceremony where you know they have a a walk across from the the academy building into the first team dressing room yeah. and you know that, that that at the beginning of that season we had six players do that and that was absolutely amazing and yeah just very kind of satisfying for me because it felt like almost the result of four or five years of, of hard work you know you had the likes of Emil Smith-Rowe mm. and Eddie Nketiah, Bukayo Saka, Reese Nelson, um, Martinelli had, had just come in or he joined just afterwards. We had Ainsley Maitland-Niles and I think even Emmy Martinez was 
kind of graduating at that time as well into the first team and you know that 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 was an amazing feeling and the culmination of a lot of work over a few years and yeah really I, I guess the obvious ones that I that I look at now and um, the likes of Bukayo Saka and Emil Smith-Rowe who you know had certainly ups and downs in their development in under 15 and 16 years and yeah. um, you know had I can remember having interesting debates with with coaches and how they viewed those players mm. and you know they they were two players that I, I really believed in and, and fought hard to keep and you know retaining your best players is often as difficult as bringing new ones in because when they get to that age of of 16 before they sign a pro contract they have options to to go elsewhere or go to europe and for for most of them you know at some point their their head will get turned by an agent who maybe wants to take them somewhere else for his own benefit so you have to fight very hard to make sure you keep your best players and certainly Emil and Bacayo were, were two of those that you know we had to sit down and I had to make sure I had good relationships with their families and parents and that we did the right thing and, and could making sure we convinced them that this was the best place for them to continue their development and it's it's just great for me now to see that especially with Bacayo who I think he progressed quicker than most people thought he would yeah. um, I'm probably even surprised me if I'm being honest you know in his first year as a scholar just coming up to Colney and um, you know within the space of a few months really going into first team training sessions and looking very comfortable and um, you know he, he really showed his potential earlier and one of those unique players who goes into a first team training session and, and doesn't look back and just stays there you know whereas some will, will go in and out and take a while to really develop and, and grow um, but you know physically he was always ready for that challenge and I think you know he, he surprised the coaches where I always felt like when he was going to be in with better player better quality players that he would show his technical level more yeah. which which he certainly did and and really same for Emil and uh, I think Emil had a, a couple of seasons of dealing with injuries and you know, his, his body was growing, he was growing into his body and he was developing power and strength and, you know, subsequently some players could develop injuries during that period, which he did. Yeah. Um, so I, I think he may have even come through and developed a bit quicker if, if he hadn't sustained those injuries. So it's, yeah, it's just really satisfying to see how well they're doing. Yeah, because even those two, for me, because I always like to follow who's coming through the ranks and I think in and around their time, the person who you're always hearing about was more so Reese Nelson as opposed to really yeah, those yeah. two and just seeing them almost just go like that. Like Everyone's now calling Emil um, the, the Croydon, the Broenar and, and even Saka yeah, as yeah, well. Like, yeah. he, he's more like everything that's good from Arsenal right now comes through him and uh, he's got the whole weight of yeah. the team on his shoulders and he's, he's performing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, look, I think a lot of people can see and have commented that, you know, those two players are, are pushing the team forward at the moment, which is yeah. quite incredible, you know, for, for two teenagers to to be performing at that level. Um, you know, it, it's, 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 it's quite an achievement for them, really. And, you know, like you said, you have to be patient a lot of the time when you're watching young players develop. Mm. Um, they all develop at different rates and they'll have ups and downs, uh, you know, Bakayo is, is, is quite an exception, really, because he, he keeps going from strength to strength and hasn't really had a dip yet, but he will at some point. Um, and when you talk about someone like Reese Nelson, you know, he was, you know, certainly from 
his very early years developing down at Hill End, you know, 13, 14, right through to, you know, 16, 17 years old. He was, you know, always one of the top players in the group and the exciting attacking player. And um, But right now he's probably um, taking a little bit longer to yeah. really fulfill that potential than most people would have thought. Um, and, and that's fine. And I, I'm sure he will come good because he has great ability. Um, but I think his his lack of playing time and opportunities is probably affecting him right now. And yeah. he probably needs to get out and have another long spell long, and, yeah, and just league. play every single week at a good level. And um, and then he'll start to really perform and show and show his potential more. So that probably needs to be the next next step for him. Yeah, for sure. And, and would you also make of obviously um, Joe Willock and uh, Ainsley Maitland-Niles recently going on loan as well? Um, yeah. to, to Newcastle yeah. and West Brom. What's your, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, um, you know, I think Joe was an interesting one as well because he was probably in the shadow of his older brother, Chris Willock, a little bit um, as Chris was developing at Arsenal. Um, but um, I always saw that Joe would come through eventually and, you know, he was probably a, a slow burner. But then, you know, when he came to Colney, um, he, he started to push on really quickly and, um you know, showed showed everyone what potential he had. Um, I think, I think at the moment, you know, for the last year or so, he's 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 really showed glimpses um, from the limited playing time that he's had of his his quality, but has lacked probably a little bit of consistency. Um, and that's it's a difficult situation for a young player when you know you're in and out of the team or you're coming off the bench, and um, unless you're performing at a an exceptionally high level every chance you get to play, then as a young player, you're going to have ups and downs and you're going to be in and out of the team. And I think it's a really good time for him. And I'm glad that yeah. um, the club decided to send him out at this point because I think that's that's what he really needs. You know, he's probably kind of reached that level of... Um, he needs to play, it's, yeah. It's going to be hard yeah. for him to continue to push forward and develop if, if he's in and out of the team. So he just needs to play every yeah. week. So I think you know that that's a good move. It's the right move for him. And yes, it's same for, for Ainsley, really. Um, another interesting one because he, he went to Ipswich for a whole season on loan and um, maybe didn't do as well as what he thought he would but um, he came back um, to, to Arsenal and you know was a different player in our environment and really showed his maturity um, and again he hasn't really probably been able to play the position where he feels most comfortable in central midfield um, but you know, for Ainsley to represent England as a full-back is, is, yeah. is, is quite phenomenal, really. Um, and I, I am a bit surprised um, that he didn't get more playing opportunities this year, you know, considering the form that he was showing early on in the season, getting into the England squad. Um, I was a bit surprised that he didn't play more. Um, so, again, it's definitely the right thing for him to go out at this point. Yeah, and I think it's all good news for them as well. I had a Chris Kirkland on the podcast as well, and... He played under Steve Bruce and he said that Steve's one of the best coaches in the game. So someone like Joe being able to, to learn yeah. and play under him and, and same for um for for Ainsley under under Sam Allardyce as well, I think would well, it's really gonna help their game yeah. and come back as better players for sure. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, yeah. And look that that's where choosing the right loan option is so important, you know, and for the player to feel like um He's going to have a good relationship with that coach, and that coach is going to believe in him and play him. You know, the the worst loans are are, are when you go out and um, 
you're really just at that club for for cover to come off the bench and play the odd game. Um, a really successful loan means playing most of the games and starting every week. And and hopefully those two guys under, like you say, really reputable coaches can help their development and they'll they'll, they'll get a lot of minutes and, and play and, and raise their game to another level now. Just some sort of quick fire uh, questions. Um, who's an upcoming scout out there that we should all watch out for? Upcoming scout? Yeah, that we should watch out for. Yeah, look, I, I always like to, to kind of speak highly of uh, of, of, of my own guys and, and, and the, the ones that we we brought into the, the club. Um, so t- two names that, that I would like to, to kind of put put out there yeah. really are guys that work closely with me and don't always get you know the recognition um and they, they worked for me for quite a long time one was uh, kevin bedell um you know who, who who worked closely with me and my team and he's um he left arsenal at the same time as me and is now working and doing a great job down in cardiff um so yeah that's one who probably deserves a bit more recognition yeah and another one would be sean o'connor uh, who was at, at Brentford when I brought him to to Arsenal, um, and ha, ha, probably has a good re- reputation within the game for his eye for for younger talent and um, just a, a great guy who um, was also able to build good relationships with people and and help persuade them to come into the club. So um, yeah, two really great scouts. Yeah, the the best player that you've played with and against. Well. Um, I, I would say with um, would have to be uh, Dennis Bergkamp. I, I, I would say um, you know, and uh, just being in training sessions with with, with with the guy and seeing some of the things that that he could do on the ball and the vision that he had, where it was just jaw dropping on occasions. You know, some of the things that he was able to do in the passes he was able to pick. Um, you know, was was quite incredible. Um, so he he was an amazing talent for sure. Um, but I, that's it would be unfair just to name one. Yeah. So you know, I, I played with so many so many great players. Uh, um, yeah, but he had a, a for me a different type of quality and a special quality. Um, yeah, against against is a yeah is, is a tough one as well. You know, and I can think of. Kind of many difficult um, international games against you know top teams like Germany and yeah. um, having you know tough games against um, German centre forwards. Um, but I, I always remember the the, the toughest um, game that I that I faced was a a game at Highbury against Man United, um, and it was probably one of my early learning experiences going into the first team. And I was deputising at left back for Nigel Winterburn and. Um, on the day, Man United had Ryan Giggs playing wide on the right and Lee Sharp on the left. And they kept changing wings, and uh, I had a, a pretty horrendous day that day. So, <laughs> as a young player, that was a hell of a, a learning experience. You know, having um, both of those players running at me for ninety minutes. So that 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 was a tough one. Yeah, and you're. Um, I'm going to help you out of the first one. Your ultimate Arsenal five aside, five aside team. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, so if I guess if I had to pick a, a goalkeeper, it would be David Seaman. Yeah, um, you know he was tremendous, and um, he liked playing out in five-a-side games as well. So he would be a goalkeeper come sweeper. He thought he was a good outfield player as well, yeah. but um, we we let him believe that. Um, I I would say so. Uh, 
David probably at the back. Uh, oof, tough one. Um, I, I would say because it's a five-a-side team, you know, as a as a centre back, I would probably just lean more towards Steve Bold, yeah. um, who Composible, was a tremendous yeah. player. Yeah, alongside you know Tony Adams for many years, and Tony was such a, a great player as well. Um, maybe Steve was. Um, slightly more comfortable on the ball um which is probably more suited to five aside so um you know he, he would be a great player to have at the back in a team like that um i think in uh so that's one two i would probably have to go with um it would be a tough choice between you know patrick Vieira and Cesc fabregas in midfield um mm. or maybe have maybe have both of them um but just two great players and Sesk was so great in, in tight spaces as well, which would make him a great five-a-side player. Um, and up front, yeah, we've already talked about Dennis, and I would have to mention Terry Henry in there, or Ian Wright, um, probably in a five-a-side game because tight spaces as well. I would maybe lean towards Ian Wright yeah. Um, yeah, again because he was so sharp in tight spaces and great around the box, and loved you know being in five-a-side game. So. Um, there's a five-a-side team in there somewhere. Yeah, no, that's brilliant. And, and just sort of in terms of yourself as well, as, as we sort of round up, what was it like sort of leaving Arsenal for you? How, how sort of difficult was that for you? And what's what, what's the sort of future future for you, man? Yeah, um, yeah. M- m- moving on from Arsenal was, um, you know, uh, difficult in many ways, you know, because I, I really... You know, between being a player and staff member, I'd spent you know twenty two years of my life with the club, um, so it's it's certainly in my blood and always will be, um, really. Um, and in many ways, it was tough to leave, um, but also an exciting time as well because I think towards the end, you know, the the club had changed a lot, um, and a lot of the people that I had worked with and senior people and you know developed close relationship with like Arsene Wenger and Ivan Gazidis and Steve Rowley and, and Dick Law. Um, all of those people had moved on as well. And I think the culture within the club was, was certainly changing, you know, with the new people. And um, really, um, I, I felt like it was a good time for me to move on and, and take on a new challenge somewhere else, you know, yeah. partly because of the changes within the club and, and really for my own personal development as well. Um, you know, I, I, I want to go on now and have find the right project in the right club um, and or maybe association. I don't know. Um, and, you know, it, it, I've, I've been very close and had interest from from other clubs around the, the kind of technical director role. Yeah. Um, which you know, I, I was chosen by the FA to do their two-year technical director course, which which I finished last year. Um, so that was a a tough two-year course, but a great learning experience, and you know, learning from other technical directors. And you know, Dan Ashworth was the yeah, FA yeah. technical director at the time. Met and worked very closely with the likes of you know Les Ferdinand and Dougie Freeman at Palace and Steve Walsh at Leicester. And, Matt Crocker from the FA, he's now at Southampton, you know, yeah. a great group of people. And so, yeah, that, that opened my eyes to, you know, the, the skill set and experiences that I've developed and, and want to use now and, and go on and, and take on a new exciting project and have a really strong influence um, uh, in another situation. And, you know, hopefully that, that club or that situation or project can develop from all of my learnings and all of my experience, you know, so while I'm very grateful to, to, to Arsenal for everything that I learned there. It's 
um, you know, it's 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 a good time to move on, really, for for another challenge. Yeah, no, definitely. I think I've always been a big believer because the main reason I set up this podcast was sort of to give fans more insight into what happens behind the scenes in football. And I think people like yourself who, who live and breathe uh, the football clubs that they played for and they, they sort of have an affinity to, like yeah. Arsenal, I think people like you are so important for the game and, and they're really needed. And I think fans really yeah. have that sort of relatability uh, to people like yourself, which is which yeah. is important, man. Yeah, 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 and and you're right, and they they don't even get recognised, you know, and um, you know, fortunately, I I do get a bit of recognition now, and people, you know, will recognise you for the the work that you did within a club, and there are lots of people inside football clubs, you know, who have big influences and in, in a player's development, but never get any recognition for it, you know. So, I think it's you know it's important for for guys like you to continue doing that and yeah. and, and get recognition to other people who do vital roles within clubs, you know. Yeah, now thank you, Stephen. We like to always end it with the what the footy question, which is what the footy needs to change or happen within your space. Right, do you mean it's sort of in, in terms of the game and, yeah. Like, with... Yeah, like the future of the game, what do you want to see happen? What do you want to see uh, change? Okay. Yeah. okay, yeah, look, yeah, from from the areas that I that I have worked in and want to work in and, you know, a potential technical director's role, you know, I guess what I would like to see, um, you know, happen w- within the game and uh, I guess a trend that, that does worry me is the, the there's stable ownership and stable cultures within football clubs, you know, so they can have longer periods really to, to develop and have patience to um, instill new ideas and new philosophies and new strategies and really believe in them and, and let it continue and to try not to fall into the trap of um, changing staff and changing managers, you know, every couple of years, you know, bring, bring someone in and, and believe in him and believe in what he can bring to the club um, and, and give, give those people um, a, a chance to, to develop their ideas and strategies and, and and bring a stable culture within the club and believe in it and try not to react too quickly to uh, a few results not going your way and believe in the longer term plans and and for me that really involves you know developing young players and giving those young players a stage to to develop and and for young players and academies to be really important parts of clubs because um i think if you get that that piece right you will have longer sustained success by believing in in those philosophies. No, I think that's brilliant, Stephen. I think it's very important, some of the stuff that you mentioned there, giving people time, not just always what we see in football, which is people coming in, people going, people coming in, people going. Stability, I think, is is very important. But Steve Morrow, over 20 years at Arsenal, as a player, scout and senior academy employee, thank you for coming on the What The Footy podcast and uh, all the best with your uh, future endeavours, man. Thanks a lot, mate. Really good to talk to you. Thanks. Guys, if you made it to the end of this podcast, thank you very much. And please make sure to leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts as it helps others to discover and get the amazing value that you've been getting so far. Peace and love and see you in a fortnight. What the footy? What the footy? What the footy? What the footy? Knew some other guys liked me, but I didn't know it was to that extent. Imagine being a kid in primary school, now it's a foot in Powerful people, and I think they need to recognise that, but then also they need to be represented the right way. Sport in general is nothing without fans. Uh, based on you know, one single source of revenue alone, that being the TV. Let's just win this to appease the fans. 
keep up with Team USA with gig speeds over Wi-Fi from Xfinity. Can your internet do that? Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Requires gig internet and compatible gateway. Gig speed Wi-Fi is shareable across all devices. Actual speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Xfinity, proud partner of Team USA. A lot of us are looking for ways to start our day feeling more joy and appreciation. And while some of us write gratitude lists or do yoga, others pour themselves a bowl of their favorite cereal, Honey Nut Cheerios. Because not only are Honey Nut Cheerios delicious, they can help lower cholesterol as part of a heart-healthy diet. So maybe the secret to a great mood all day is a little yoga. Then writing your gratitude list over a bowl of Honey Nut Cheerios. Learn more about a heart-healthy lifestyle at Cheerios.com.